Welcome everyone to Voice of the Valley here in the Horn Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Studios. I'm your host, Dave Bell, 428-9494. That's the phone number, 928-428-9494. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you all had a great, great holiday weekend. Had a good time at Mary Main Street. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. I mean, obviously, when we have the chamber. Not obviously, but, you know, we'll talk more about that uh, when the chamber is in. But I would like to welcome my guest to the air right now. He is on the phone, Russ Kazmierczyk. Hi, you are on the air. Russ, are you, oh, wait a minute. There we go. Russ, are you there now? I'm here. Good there, morning. There we go. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you, David? Good. Thank you. Russ is, of course, the creator of Amazing Arizona Stories, but he's a true Renaissance man, and uh, we, we've we known each other for a few years. I was glad to have you on the show. Thank you be, for being here. Uh, I, I'm throwing you right into the deep end because we started a little early today. Oh, no problem. I, I, have, to, I have to start with... You recently were in L.A. for, uh, for those that aren't aware, Amazing Arizona Stories, wonderful mini comic that uh, that you can get just by finding Russ on social media and subscribing. Uh, it's, it's really cheap to get it mailed to you if you happen to see him anywhere. It's a donation, correct? Um, pretty much each issue um, ranges, depending on their size, from 3 to $5 and... Um, you could find my links on my Instagram at Amazing AZ Comics. So uh, recommend them. I, I've been a subscriber for a few years. Love them all. Uh, but you were in L.A. kind of getting a, a an advanced comic primer, if I can. Uh, that's an oxymoron, an advanced and a primer. With, with, <laughs> with well, two, that is a good way of describing it. But with two of, of comic greats and, and one of my personal favorites, uh, Mark Wade, who, who, for those that aren't aware, one of the most prolific writers uh, in comics today, and honestly, probably my favorite living artist right now, Howard Chaikin, who's, wow. who's yeah. a curmudgeon of the highest sort <laughs> uh, and is wonderful because of that. How was that experience? It was incredible. I heard about it through a podcast on which Wade was giving an interview. And I thought, what is this? It's called Comic Book U. And I Googled it, found it on Eventbrite, and bought a ticket and um, made the arrangements to travel out there for that weekend. It was pretty incredible. It, it is a crash course, kind of a master class in comic book making from concept and plot and story to laying out the page, actually drawing it, um, and some, you know, coloring and, and lettering philosophies as well. So from, you know, concept to completion, the, the entire process of making the comic. And Wade and Chaikin are two different personalities. So Wade talked a lot about developing the story and concept and character and creating exciting moments on the page. And Chaikin's philosophy is very much at any moment can be exciting on the page if you know how to draft it correctly. He has a, a philosophy he's, he's called the paradigm, which is Googleable in and of itself. You could YouTube the first paradigm, um, but your paradigms two and three, as he calls them, were, were also a, a part of the, the, the plan for that day. And it was just, it was just great. It, it was a, 
when you say there's a, a, a primer, yes, indeed, because for me, I've never really experienced that kind of classroom education when it comes to making comics. So I think it was meant to kind of supplement that for folks that maybe haven't had that opportunity in their life. But at the same time, it was pretty advanced because these two guys together have over 90 years of experience in making comics. I, I think it's safe to say most people that are creating comics, especially those uh, doing it independently as you, are self-taught. Uh, very, very few have gone through any type of, of formalized artistic training, or if they have, it hasn't been comic-related. Um, really, there's only one cartooning school of note. Uh, the Is it Kubert or Kubert? The Joe Kubert School. Kubert. Um, there's also SVA, the School of Visual Arts, I think that stands for, on the um, on the East Coast, too. So I had heard some of my favorite artists in their podcasts or in interviews mention going to the Kubert School and SVA, and I thought, man, I just... When I saw those Kubert School ads in comics as a kid, that didn't seem like a real place you could actually go to. It seemed like a, like a pipe dream of a thing, and... Uh, comic book you again kind of scratched that itch and they are continuing to do it if people are interested the next one is in albuquerque in january as a part of a con that's happening there so that's easily found online and if this is something that people are kind of interested in I, there were a couple people there that were just fans not creators they just wanted to meet shaken and wade and kind of hear them speak live um so that that potential is there too but it is a you know notebook in my lap six and a half hour um, session in in comic book education and um, yeah I I never thought that such a thing would be possible like you said a lot of fans just start drawing comics if they have that kind of calling and then as you draw and go to the library when I was a kid and you'd find books like how to draw comics the Marvel way or understanding comics by Scott McCloud you kind of develop your own curriculum for yourself and and get to work that way I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, comics are, are the best way to introduce kids to the joy of reading. At least it was for me. I mean, that, that was, uh, you know, my mom taught me how to read with comic books before I entered kindergarten. So, it, and I watch kids today, now it's anime primarily, or mm -hmm. manga, I should say rather. Yeah. Um, but I don't care. You know, it, it, if they want to turn a page, that's great. And then they'll eventually move on to whatever they whatever they find intriguing. Fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, I learned um, not so much how to read, but how to enjoy reading from, from comics. My dad worked for a moving company and brought home a box of comics that one of his customers were, was going to throw away while downsizing. And so those 49 issues just transformed me that weekend. I devoured the whole box and um, had to go to the comic book store to find more and found my local comic book shop in the yellow pages at that time. But um, yeah, from those comics, I developed an appreciation for the Hardy Boys. They were kind of the closest to comics I could find at my reading level that um, didn't have pictures. And from... The Hardy Boys, I, I kind of developed an appreciation for holding that real book in my hand, and it all kind of traces back to, to comic book adventure. I, I'm I'm a little bit older than you. I'm significantly older than you, so uh, we didn't have comic book stores. We had to we had to find them in drugstores and convenience stores. 
Um, My transition was from comics to the comic-related paperback, which existed Mm. back then, and then to um, uh, like Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple. I went into mysteries, and then from there I went into, you know, actually nonfiction. I kind of jumped. Sure. Um, so my my argument is I don't care what the path is. Let's Absolutely. let's just get kids there, because as as you know. You know, once a kid is reading, a kid is more likely to succeed in whatever they choose. Doesn't matter what. I don't care if they sling a hammer. If they like to read, they'll be a successful carpenter. Sure. Um, When you read, you develop critical thinking skills, problem solving skills. You know, you're working alongside the hero and not always in a superhero story, any protagonist in any story. As you're reading, you're kind of working alongside them to solve their problems. You're anticipating what might happen next. And, you know, the best stories are the ones you can anticipate. You think it's going one way, then it shocks you, goes the other. And now you're again with that protagonist along for the ride trying to figure it all out. And you start to subconsciously apply those skills in your own life, in reality, in your own potentially mundane but still adventures. And then... Uh, it, like like you said, it, it develops um, a thirst for success that comes from emulating those heroes in literature. You know, it's funny you said uh, not anticipating what's coming next. And, and my wife and I have this discussion all the time. She gets mad, uh, mostly with visual uh, media. She gets mad when characters are killed off. And nine times out of ten, it's contract related with an actor. But I keep telling her, no, good writers know sometimes you have to kill your children Sure. And and boy, does that frustrate her. I said, but but you're still watching. <laughs> you're you're still right. absorbed. Uh, yeah. But but it angers her, and that's good because it's generating an emotion. Absolutely. Yeah. A- any reaction, kind of like any press is good press, is an argument whether or not it's true. Yeah. Um, any reaction is a good reaction when it comes to art, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about your art, Amazing Arizona Stories. For those that aren't aware, what is Amazing Arizona Stories? Well, um, it's Amazing Arizona Comics. Comics, excuse and, me. No problem. And it is a mini comic that I self-publish uh, quarterly, generally, that satirizes Arizona news and culture with superhero adventure. So I grew up in Peoria, which is near Phoenix, and moved to California for college and career. When I returned in 2010, I wanted to continue self-publishing comics, which I had been doing in California with a friend. But um, now I had to draw them. He... Uh, he lives in Long Beach, so that kind of long-distance relationship didn't didn't work well for our collaboration. Um, so I was just wondering what kind of comic would I like to create now that I've moved back home. And, you know, uh, Gotham has Batman and Metropolis has Superman. New York has the Avengers. There aren't a lot of definitive, if any, definitive, definitively Arizonian superheroes. So um, I just started to brainstorm and came up with several pretty pretty quickly that kind of exploit tropes of Arizona living and started making a comic based on some of the quirkier news I could see. You know, what if superheroes existed or were subtextually responsible for this stuff? And, um, you know, I've just finished issue 50. So it's been a pretty fulfilling uh, process and uh, an experience making these little comics. Um, how's how's the reaction been? Because it's, it, as you say, I mean, that was the, the big thing with Marvel in the 60s um, was, 
I mean, look, I grew up in Chicago, so we didn't. Mm-hmm. New York was the same as Metropolis to us. You know, sure. it was all the same. But for those New York readers, oh my gosh, I recognize Hell's Kitchen and I recognize the Bowery. And, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a draw for people. Um, totally. are, are you finding that people are responding that way? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you referenced XYZ in the Valley of the Sun. Oh, definitely. Um, my first few issues were in part inspired by an interview that then Sheriff Joe Arpaio gave on CNN. And I thought, you know, love him or hate him, if Commissioner Gordon were real, uh, he would be very similar to Joe Arpaio in that he'd be this talking head on network news. People would call him periodically to, you know, be on a panel and talk about law enforcement and crime because Gotham would be well known for that. And at the time, Arizona was on the map for sure for the – immigration stuff that was going on, SB 1070 and so on. And so I just looked at Arpaio as a personality. And if superheroes existed, surely like Commissioner Gordon, he would use them again, now love him or hate him or whatever his motivations may be. He would definitely um, exploit superheroes in the same way that he recruited, you know, Steven Seagal and, and Lou Ferrigno for their celebrity. So with Arpaio actually in the comic, it's kind of one part superhero adventure, and then it becomes one part political cartoon, too. And people would ask me at Comic-Cons when they'd, they'd see his likeness in the book, is he a, a hero or a villain? And I could tell they were kind of they're going to gauge the whole book based on my answer to that question. So I very quickly developed the response. He's the catalyst to the story. And and um, that seemed to be diplomatic enough. But that kind of react, people were delighted to even ask. The, the, the familiarity uh, made them feel like they were a part of that book because they certainly had an opinion about, about it right out of the gate. Whereas if you look at a Spider-Man comic and he's fighting Electro on the cover, I mean, it's fun and cool, but there's no personal investment. You love those characters, but you don't, you know, you're not in that story. Um, in an Arizona comic book, you may very well be in that story and that it takes place at Tempe Town Lake and you go to ASU or it takes place, you know, in, in Flagstaff and, and you hang out downtown there. So those were uh, those were definite kind of strategic marketing ploys <laughs> I implemented pretty, pretty early on. You're, you're familiar, of course. Uh, the creators all know each other, especially in Arizona and, and creators yeah. seem to be centered in Phoenix. Um, you staked out a unique position there. And that doesn't knock any of the others, your friends, uh, you know, whether it's it's Jason Gonzalez or Rob Hicks or Alfred Trujillo, you you all know each other, but you all have your, your own lane and it seems to work for everybody. There's room Absolutely. for everybody, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, just like the, the comic book industry proper, writers certainly have agendas or voices when they come to titles, whether they've created the characters or not. A big inspiration for me was Denny O'Neill, who took over the then failing Green Lantern title. I mean, Green Lantern's practically a household name superhero now, but in the seventies, that was a, a title that was on the verge of cancellation. It just wasn't selling well. And when he took it over, he was kind of tasked with giving it this, this new life. So he, dipped into his own political and socio-political views and started infusing them into the stories, making them more grounded. And while the book still kind of floundered that has since it's since developed a, a cult following in that, from that time period, that era now is kind of looked back and revered because 
it was a daring thing to do. And so that was a big influence on me trying to develop a story, stories that are based kind of in reality, but with superheroes. <laughs> I, w- I was there when when that happened, uh, seven years old, and it was uh, as, as new and different as Marvel was. That was even more so. Uh, and then, you know, reading the history, it turns out it boosted the sales numbers phenomenally, but they only had like eight issues and they yeah. didn't have those sales numbers immediately. Again, this is well before comic shops. So they didn't know how well it was selling until it was canceled. Sure. Sure. So, and yeah. By then, everybody had moved on to other things. So um, yeah, it was hard to develop a long term plan back then, because like you say, the numbers were delayed you know, eight, nine months. So you could have a hit, but you wouldn't know until, you know, almost a year later. Yeah, it, it, it was, well, I mean, it's the way business is run. It's just a little different now, thanks to comic shops, but I hate to say it, we're losing comic shops. They, they, every, every week I see another one closing across the nation. How do you, how do you get your voice heard when there are fewer avenues for that voice to be distributed or to be seen? Sure. Um, the internet helps a great deal. The The world is at our doorstep each for each of us. So social media presence is so important and yet not everything. So I try not to get too consumed by that and, and strategize other ways. And frankly, um, I try to, t- I try to bring my comics where there aren't comics. That's kind of my, my philosophy and strategy is to be the comic book person in the room at an art show or, you know, some kind of expo that might encourage or invite exhibitors like me. So comic cons are great, but there are other similar things that happen throughout the Valley, especially now that the weather's cooler, two, three, two, three things every weekend, practically sidewalk art shows and, and gallery openings and even coffee shops. Um, to be the comic book person affiliated with that event or place has been pretty fruitful for me. Um, because again, you know where to find comics. There's a comic book store, but to discover comics while you're just out and about, you know, I've been asked as I'm drawing in public, you know, if I'm at a coffee shop working, somebody will stop and say, Oh yeah, are you making a comic book? I'll say, yeah, they still make those. So, and I've been asked to that multiple times in, in public places. So as comic book fans, we kind of take for granted how we kind of take for granted our knowledge of comic book shops and the industry and the culture. But for a, a vast majority of people, the mainstream audience, it's a it's a niche thing. It's kind of kitschy and cool when they find one. It takes them back to that place. So that's really the, the audience I'm I'm targeting because comic book readers We'll know how to find me. We all know the language online or, or again, going to shops, where to discover new comics or independent comics. It's funny with the popularity of comic book movies over the last decade and comic book television shows, you would think there would have been a renaissance of comic book buyers, but that hasn't necessarily been the case at least traditional American comics. Let's put it that way. Western comics. Right. I, th- I think more it's it's lean towards Eastern comics, uh, Asian influenced yes. comics that have seen the growth, which which sounds to me just incongruous 
You know, how do you go from the Avengers to uh, One Piece? But <laughs> but they do, and it's absolutely you know yeah. And I'm fine with it. I just can't figure out how it happens that way. Well, I think there are a few variables. One, anime and manga, you did it earlier. I do it all the time. We all do it. We interchange the words. We forget the manga's print. Anime is animation. They both look so similar. Of course, anime are anime is moving pictures, but anime and manga are drawn and produced in similar styles so that you know if you were to hold up an animation cell from an anime and a panel from a manga other than perhaps the color they would look very similar so that visual language is easy for a young audience to translate oh that's the very thing i've been reading or that's the thing i've been watching and now i could read it when it comes to adaptation on, in, on the western side it's you know, we're casting actors, some of whom we may recognize from other prominent roles, and it creates a disconnect subconsciously between the source material, these beloved comics, and the film. And again, for a mainstream audience, the film just becomes a thing. It has a definitive end. Some of them are to be continued, so to speak, with stingers after the credits and so on. But, you know, those are more shock value than story investment generally. So... There is no sense of I got to come back for the next one as we did when we were kids every month. It's a it's a beginning, middle, and end. Most of these stories. Also, manga are very uh, portable. Digests. An American comic is floppy. It's fragile. You know, we bag and board them immediately if you're into that kind of thing because we know that if you have it loose in your backpack, a corner's going to get bent or the corner might the cover might even detach from the staples and now it becomes practically worthless as a collectible it's still very readable but manga is like a, a, a smaller digest it's dense it's durable you could have you could have it in your backpack when you're going to school without fear of it getting you know dinged or damaged in any way and i'm not saying kids are thinking about that stuff overtly but that definitely contributes to the success of one over the other nowadays in my opinion oh when i was a kid you folded it up threw it in your back pocket <laughs> And you Absolutely. got on your bike and, and rode to your friends. Uh, totally. And you traded them. I mean, that's, sure. that's what you did. Um, yeah, it, it has radically changed. I think it's changed with our age because we're seeing an older reader of comics, it seems to me. Uh, the average age is increasing. But that brings up another question. It's It's not... It's gotten better in America, but it's still... You, you keep it on the DL, you know, that you're a comic book reader. You could be a comic book collector, but a comic book reader, you kind of you kind of don't say that. Uh, sure. But in in Asian cultures, doggone it, I'm reading it on the bus, uh, on the train. It doesn't matter your age. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there are some suited for adult versus children. But and I think this is also true in in some European nations. Belgium, I think, really embraces the the narrative of comics um why is it that we, we struggle to get our adults openly advocating for this very valid art form it's probably the nature of comics as children's literature originally originally intended for young audiences and then you know when you go back to the 30s and 40s the origins of the genesis of all of this uh, comics were targeting kids, and then they were sent to soldiers that were away at war as kind of this, you know, gift and uh, a look back home and we're thinking of you kind of a thing. Um, 
but that was kind of the ceiling for for the intended audience and while we something about your generation my generation and so on we've we've continued to read these and and grow with them if you did not grow up with them you're just looking at some you know and i'm reading a comic on the bus which i have done <laughs> um, oh yeah somebody would look at me and say oh he's reading a children's book you know um because we associate pictures and story with with children's literature to the point where there are comics that are called YA and intended for children and adults are reading those too. And that's where I kind of have a weird, I, I get a weird feeling about that because when I was a kid, I felt like my comics were my comics. Like I didn't know adults that read Spider-Man and Batman like I did. So now I think maybe kids are investing more in manga and anime because they feel like that's exclusively theirs and dad's reading Harry Potter or, um, you know, a Raina Tegelmeyer book or something like that. And, and that inherent, I'm not going to do what dad or mom d- does. I'm going to read my own thing, um, dri- drives them into manga, which is great. These aren't judgment statements. I just think that that's the, the way things are panning out right now. And, and I agree. I'm fine with it. The kids are reading whatever they love. I'm all for it. I just wish more adults would understand there's other comics out there. It's not sure. just Superman and Batman. Uh, which which is weird because if you think back on the on the birth of comic books, it was an adult medium prior to the uh, introduction of comic books. It was the funnies. Uh, there's the story about uh, the newspaper strike in New York and LaGuardia going on the air to read the funnies oh. <laughs> um, because sure. his voters were upset that they couldn't read the Cats and Jammer Kids or. Uh, I don't think Dick Tracy might have been out by then, but you know the the comics that were popular then. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think what else was there. Cats and Jammers are the only ones I can think of back in the you know early 30s. Oh yeah, but I, a bunch. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an adult medium, and then it it slowly became this this children's medium, which is wonderful. But now we've gotten to the point where it's it's back to an all ages medium because. Trust me, adults can find books that they will love that are every bit as challenging as any novel that's out there. My wife is a huge Sandman fan of the TV show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, you have to read the graphic novels because they're, they're much more dense. Absolutely. You yeah. know? So yeah. it's, it's there. I think it's just a matter of alerting people to it. Is that... Yeah. Uh, again, bringing instead of asking how do we get people to comics, it's how do we get comics to people. Uh, putting comics where people already go. Um, and I know you guys have art art walks down there. We have stuff like that up here. And so, to stroll by exhibitors that have the typical stuff you see at these things, candles, canvases, um, beautiful tapestries, and stuff like that, and then to stumble upon a comics table at such an event all of a sudden that elevates the medium to be on par with these other things called art just by way of the marketing of the event. And it, it puts people in a different mentality versus walking into a comic book store as amazing and, and heavenly to me as they are and being inundated with comics and toys and Funkos and posters. And, and, and that's where people, you know, that's when people think this is kind of childish and nerdy. It's the inundation of those primary colors. But if comics are alongside other fine arts in public places it suddenly 
elevates them to that position. I hate to say it. I, I'm out of time. I could talk this all day long. Russ Kismirchik, uh, again, where can people find out information about you, about your work, and where you'll be next? Sure. Thank you, David. Thank you for supporting my comic all this time, too. I really appreciate you. And uh, my Instagram is at AmazingAZComics. I post um, all sorts of events that I'm participating or hosting uh, here in the Phoenix area and around the state. And you could find a link to buy some of my latest comics on my Etsy store there as well. Very good. And uh, the next 24-hour comic is next fall, next summer? Um, it will be in June of 2024. For so the, 24 and 24. Yeah, we, we didn't even discuss this, that Russ does a comic in 24 hours in the window of a comic shop every year. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's kind of this performance art piece. David Blaine meets uh, Stan Lee is how I describe <laughs> it. <laughs> Very good, Russ. Thank you so much. My pleasure, David. Thank you. All right. I'm going to head to break. And when we come back, I'll be saying goodbye right after this. Welcome back to Voice of the Valley. I'm Dave Bell. Thanks again to Russ Kazmierczyk. He is uh, really a renaissance man. He's a, he does poetry. He does comics. Um, he, he's a teacher. Does a tremendous amount of work out there uh, in the public, especially with kids, making sure that, that kids are embracing this wonderful art form, much like Brant Woods does here in the Gila Valley. Brant has done, you know, little... Uh, intro to comic making for kids russ is very much the same way i'm a fan i look i'm a fan i got a piece of russ's work hanging in my office it's beautiful and uh i i recommend everybody check it out amazing az comics it's amazing just like it sounds az comics c-o-m-i-c-s on instagram and you could see the work that he's working on as well as all the other stuff um also coming up this year or this month, I should say rather December, he typically creates a new holiday character at least once a week. I, th I think it's once a week uh, where, where he just, oh no, the 12 days of Christmas heroes. And uh, he just comes up with new ones. I, I got to name one of them once. Back in 2019, I believe it was. Uh, so, very cool. I, I highly, highly recommend you check out his stuff. It is so worth it. All right, that's it for me. I'm out of here for right now, but I will be back tomorrow. Until then, you guys have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>